Very good. Well, I turn on my microphone not so you can hear me, but so that our podcast can be recorded, I assume, right? So we are uh, going to kind of finish up what we, uh, same passage really that we took on last week, but from a different perspective. We focused last week on the front end of this passage of uh, Galatians 6, 6 through 10, uh, really talking about dealing with uh, the physical needs of the ones who preach and teach God's word. And now we're going to look at the tail end of this and focus from that perspective. Again, this is all on sowing and reaping. What you put in is what you're going to get out multiplied. And that is the, the principle of sowing and reaping. You put in a little, you're going to get out a lot. You, you might say, well, that's just a little sin. That's not, gonna, that's not a big deal, but it reaps a harvest of big sin in your life. And similarly, with righteousness, you, you sow little seeds that aren't very much, and what comes out of it, the fruit of that, though, is multiplied. And so the principle here is an honest one that God lays forward, that if we uh, are, take responsibility and put our effort energy into this, even on a small scale, the results God can bring in our life, or, the, and if we do it in the flesh in a negative way, um, we're going to reap some horrific things down the road. And so this idea of, of sowing, of planting, and then of reaping um, is a principle that is found in a lot of Scripture, uh, that, that this is what we do. And what are, what's going to come back is going to be what you would invest um, in a modern world, we would use the input-output, right? Garbage in, garbage out um, of the computer world that if you put in bad data, you're going to get bad results. Um, but even that doesn't fully appreciate the principle here of multiplication, that you're going to get uh, this little bit you do to serve the Lord. God can use that well beyond um, even your recollecting or knowing um, and sometimes well beyond your own sphere of influence. And we hear testimony of people who, um, you know, who led some great evangelists to the Lord. You know, we know the great evangelists, but who led them to Christ? Um, and they are, uh, their little seed sown in that one heart reaped a great bounty through that person's ministry. And, and uh, invariably, you'll find a lot of the evangelists give, give that credit to give that uh, um, point that finger back to that one who sowed the seed of the gospel in their life, and then they went out and sowed it in so many thousands others. Um, and uh, though we don't know their names, you know, we don't recognize. We can talk about Dale Moody, we can talk about Billy Sunday, we can talk about uh, Whitfield and all these others, but um, who led them to Christ? You might not know. I, I would venture that none of you know um, who led each of those to Christ. Um, but And so when we talk about sowing and reaping, that whole idea of if you're going to commit these little sins and think, well, they're just little, they're insignificant, um, but that's where the big sins come from. That's where the multiplied sin comes from of the flesh. And so we start feeding the flesh and feeding the flesh. The flesh gets fat, and it starts taking over, and then we are in trouble. And before we know it, we're, we're drowning in it. And so we are called, rather, to, to feed and to sow in the Spirit. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. And uh, the sowing and reaping principle 
as it applies really to the ongoing work of our faith in terms of uh, doing good. And we're going to talk about good works tonight and how we persist in them and the extent to which God's Word calls us to them. Before we do so, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your Word before us tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to look into it. We pray you might give us understanding, certainly, but also a... a uh, willingness to receive its power, that it calls us to not only change of mind, but of heart, of will, that we would conform ourselves to it, and whether or not it agrees or disagrees with our predisposed beliefs, uh, Lord, we recognize that your word is true, and it must be adhered to, and we pray you might uh, continue as you have promised to lead us into your truth, and that we might respond to your faithful work in us by faithfully obeying it. And we, again, thank you for the Spirit's power to enable us and to help us in that area. And so we commit this time to you again, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 9, let's start in verse uh, 8. We'll just back up and read the whole passage again. We're going to really focus on verse 9 and 10. It says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we have this uh, development of this principle that he has applied first off uh, chronologically in the passage to caring for those who teach the word, that those who receive it share in all uh, physical things with those who are teaching it. Um, but now he wants to expand this. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but I really want to develop these two verses a little more substantially in the, within the principle of sowing and reaping. And he says, and so we are not to grow weary while doing good. And we often think that Paul is the guy who speaks about grace alone, faith alone. And we have been influenced by the Reformers focusing in on that to the point that we have almost lost track of the fact of how strongly Paul taught that we are to be involved in good works. Usually if I'm going to take a passage and talk about good works, most most Christians are going to think, well, you're going to talk about the book of James because there it talks and it almost says the reverse of what Paul says. Where he says, you know, faith without works is dead. And so Paul says, well, you know, you have to have faith without works. um, That you can't trust in those. And so they seem to be in opposition to each other. But we find rather that this is consistent with Paul's position. Even though Paul and James both, by the way, um, want to divorce the idea of merit, of earning our salvation. That we do good things to get to heaven. Both of them remove that concept um, they both emphasize quite frequently, certainly the, the premise there mostly of James, uh, particularly 2 and 3, uh, those chapters, is on working out our salvation. But Paul does so too, extensively. And this is just one example. Remember that Galatians is kind of an a outline book for a lot of Paul's writing. So let's just see how much Paul, not James, not Peter, how much Paul, by faith alone, through faith, or, or by grace alone, through faith alone, how much of that guy has to share? And I'm just going to give you a little sampling 
uh, verses out of Paul's writing so we can understand that this is a Pauline doctrine. Um, this is God's teaching, consistent. And so he would have had no problem with what James wrote. Um, it would have been completely consistent with what he wrote. And so let's just look at it. Don't grow weary in doing good. And so we're going to look at, I'll just pick out, um, i got a list here. I'm going to pick out three or four letters to churches, and I'm going to pick out two to pastors, to young pastors, Timothy and Titus. So let's go with the churches first. Don't grow weary while doing good. And I want to start in the very book of the Bible that the Reformers really focused in on by grace alone through faith alone, and that's Romans. Let's go to Romans. But instead of uh, Romans in the early chapters where he describes how to come to Christ, um, let's go to some of the later chapters. Remember we said that Galatians is a great outline of the book of Romans, and Romans is an expanded version of Galatians in many respects. Um, Let's go to Romans chapter 12, and let's just see what it looks like. We'll pick up in verse 9 of Romans 12. It says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have here an extensive list, really, of how to do good. That this is what you're to continue to do, to persist in doing, to never grow tired of doing this stuff. Don't get weary of this. And the reason you don't get weary of it isn't because, well, there's no results. And that, that's one reason people grow weary of doing good, because it just doesn't seem to get anywhere. No one responds. Um, and again... Paul has a principle that you're not looking on the short term. When you're sowing seed, do you jump up the next day, run out there, and expect to pick fruit? No. You recognize that that seed has to germinate. You have to water it. You have to continue to care for it and nurture it. That it has to then push its little way up through however much soil is between it and the air. That it comes out. That it then has to build a significant enough plant structure to feed itself from both the sun and the soil, both above and below ground, has to do all of that, and uh, then it has to blossom, has to be germinated, that germinated thing then has to grow, and it needs water and nutrients all along that way, and then finally you have fruit. We recognize that. In fact, if it's a tree, you recognize that you don't even expect fruit for years. You plant a fruit tree or a fruit seed, you don't expect fruit fruit for three, four, five years before you expect a little bit of fruit. It could be six to eight years before it's fully loaded with fruit. And so this principle of not growing weary 
is because we are waiting on something. And so we often see there's no results and it discourages us and we grow weary of doing good. And Paul here in Romans makes it extensively that your, your works are based and premised on not the results among people, but of the perspective of God. And so you're, when your enemy's hungry, you feed him, he's thirsty, and um, God is the one who recognizes it. And this is out of Proverbs there, that quote there in verse 20 of, of Romans 12, and, and it overcomes it, but it's a long-term process. And so we are called, don't grow weary. Don't give up on it because you don't see any evidence. And don't grow, give up on it because you see evil growing up right along beside it. That's the other thing that makes us grow weary. Is we say, well, we're investing all this good stuff, but here's all this evil that is around it. But you need to recognize that if you never planted or nourished or weeded around the good plants, what would everything become? Weeds. Everything would become evil. And instead of looking at the evil that is surrounding the good, we need to focus on that we're going to develop the good and seek to build the good fences for ourselves and our lives against the evil. Well, how do you build those fences? Well, you do that by persisting in your good works. And he has this, how do you overcome evil with good? You have to persist. You have to continue. And if you look at it, it's, it, it's a whole list of like-mindedness, that you're going to have to uh, not repay evil for evil. You're going to, people do evil, you're going to do more good. You don't, you don't join them in planting seeds. I was seeing online this week that um, on eBay you can buy tumbleweed seeds. Yes, people are buying them on eBay. So I'm going to start collecting them and selling them on eBay. Tumbleweeds, you can buy tumbleweeds too. They, they, they cost by the box, by the size. And so the giant ones go for like $80 for a big tumbleweed. Makes you want to drive out to a, a Trisco Vista fence line where we went to the volcanoes and just start collecting them. Um, they spray them with something to keep them from just crumbling, but uh, they sell them. And so um, people will always have interest in evil no matter how ridiculous it is. And so people want a piece of the Southwest, and so they ship them all over the world. Tumbleweeds. And to us, they're cursed to other people. And so evil abounds. All you have to do is stop doing good, and evil will just come in and take over the place. It requires continuous work. And so this week, I'm out there in my garden. First thing I had to do was pull up, well, they weren't really weeds, but we call them weeds because they, they were plants growing right in one of them. That's the definition of a weed. And so I had to pull all those out first and then till it up and get ready to make it good planting area to put in good seed, to produce the fruit that I want. And so I recognize that there's a lot of work, there's a lot of, of, of excavation that needs to happen. I need to excavate the weeds, the evil out of my life, but I also, if I just do that, I'm just going to continue to do that. Out here, we keep pulling weeds and pulling weeds, we never plant anything else, and so there's perpetual weeds. And so God says, if you want to get rid of that evil and to... And to make that space within the context of evil, you have to persist in doing good, so you should not grow weary. So there it is in Romans, right there, um, this focus. I mean, this is an extensive passage talking about it. You're going to, how to do it in 
reference to the poor, in reference to those that are your enemies, in reference to the church people, um, in lots of ways that you're going to do good. And that's how we fend off evil in our society and around us, in our culture, in our homes, in our church. We do more good. Well, let's look at some others. Um, we're in back in Galatians, so let's just jump real close to Galatians, to Colossians. And again, I'm just picking a, uh, a few. I, I'm, there's a lot of verses, if you ever do this and just go through. Let's look at Colossians 3. And again, it's tied to our love for God. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thankfulness is a big part of being good, doing good works. We're going to talk about that here shortly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Paul expected you to do something. He expected you to be involved in word and deed in the name of Jesus Christ. That that is the expression of love. And that it needs to be there. And the way, one of the ways that we are able to not grow weary in doing good is to persist in being thankful that we can do good. And while we look at the results, we say the results aren't what we wanted. You know, we see these and we see people... You know, we invest the truth in their lives and they reject it and go off into and living in sin and, and the misery that is theirs. Um, and it's easy to get, well, throw up our arms and say, what's the use? What's the point? Well, the point is that we, rather, that we should be thankful that God allowed us to invest in anyone and that some will hear. And while that number may be diminishing in these last days, the fact is some do hear it. Some do respond. Um, some will walk more into righteousness because of the good that we do, that we bring to society. Um, there is a benefit. And one of the things I always appreciate about our ministry in India and in Haiti is um, how they respond to it. Sometimes it's over the top, frankly. Um, that's why I really can't ever go back to Haiti because I think uh, they'd maltreat me. Not that they'd be mean to me, they'd be just way too nice to me. Um, but they're overwhelmingly thankful. And you might say, well, they're in sometimes some horrific environments, but they are thankful. And thankfulness enables us to never grow weary in doing good. If I'm thankful to God for all he's done for me, it is a small thing then for me to do good to others. And so if I persist in thankfulness, and so here in Colossians we have that facet that we Certainly have love as the generator for this, our love for God, our love for others. But thankfulness, listed here twice by Paul, is that which drives us to persist, to continue, keep doing good. Don't give up just because of evil that's out there. Don't give up because the results aren't immediate. Don't give up because um, there's opposition. We are thankful to God that through Christ we can both in our speech and our teaching and in our actions, verse 17, that we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We don't do it to our own glory. We don't do it to our own satisfaction. We are doing this to his satisfaction, to his purposes. And his purposes sometimes are different than ours. Sometimes his purposes are fulfilled simply by giving people 
access to the truth and having them deny it. Even though they reject it, that fulfills sufficiently God's purposes that now they are without excuse. That's not a great purpose that I relish. I don't relish that. What I look forward to is people responding and making an eternal difference in their life. That's what I want to see. But the fact is, is that whether they reject or accept it, it still is working to glorify God when we do good among them. And so we persist out of a thankful spirit, and that is necessary if we're going to not grow weary in doing good. All right, let's go to another passage. Let's go to the Thessalonians. I like these. I'm trying to build here a little bit. First and second Thessalonians. It was so important that Paul wanted to touch on it twice. And again, we have a listing by Paul of what it means to do good. Um, and then we have it summarized. And you'll see the same kinds of themes um, that we see in the other passages. And uh, hopefully they'll be help us. <clears throat> Let's see, where do we want to start? In First Thessalonians 5. Very similar to Galatians that we're just studying. Look at verse 12. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. We exhort you, brethren, verse 14, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but is always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And that we're going to bring out a little bit later here in Galatians. You see, you're supposed to pursue good. What is good? What is that? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. There's thankfulness again. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so, and then we have again the peace of God comes upon you. And so we have this whole idea that we're going to seek out what is good. We are going to uh, pursue it with good for ourselves and for all. And that all is going to be two-pronged for us. We're going to have two different groups of all that are going to be introduced to us here in Galatians. And so we're going to do good. We're going to do good for people. We're going to do what is good for them, and it's going to benefit us. And ultimately, when we do good, there is a factor of benefit to ourselves that also should encourage us not to grow weary. That there is a return factor, even though it might not produce the results we want, even though we see it circumferenced by evil, there is a benefit that we receive. And Paul is willing, in several places, to talk about a benefit before God. Uh, He talks about to the Philippians, uh, probably more so than others, where he talks about this is going to bound to your account. And so, I do this because I want to achieve something. And we have, and he talks also in pastors about a crown of righteousness in heaven, that there is personal benefit for us. And so don't grow weary. Um, there is good for you in this as well as good for everyone else. It's not, it, it's not just an outpouring. There is a return for us um, in our lives to recognize there are benefits. Um, I am avoiding the miseries that sin brings in life. I'm avoiding the, the hatred. I'm avoiding the, the effects of evil, all of the dismay and the despair that comes with it. I can avoid all those things. And so I can rejoice always. There is a benefit that I'm receiving 
by doing good. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians, just a page or so in your Bible, chapter um, 3. And uh, again, uh, similar themes. Uh, Let's pick up in uh, verse 10. I love this verse, by the way. You ready? You guys listening? Wake up, Henry. Tell him to listen. This is an important verse. Here you go. Verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 3. For even when we are with you, we command you this. If anyone will not work, neither should he eat. Boom. I love that verse. I use that on my kids all the time. Um, you know, get to work. You know, that's part of the deal. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. There it is verbatim, again, in Paul's writing. The same thing, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Don't count as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so the idea of being lazy in our working what is good for all men um, is really a, something that should call us to church discipline. Hey, don't grow weary. Well, the calling of God is that this is one of the benefits for ourselves is that um, we have this promise of God that if we work, that we will receive a benefit. In the physical world, we work so that we have food to eat. Um, My wife was kind of grumpy the other day, and we went to the grocery store, and some guy driving by was asking for money. Um, We saw him drop off his girlfriend or wife, whatever, and um, at the front of the store to go in shopping, and now he's going to use up his fuel to drive around the parking lot and beg for money, and she just turns to him, go get a job! <laughs> and uh, uh, pretty, sometimes my wife is like that. She's just blunt and just throws it out there. But um, get a job! And the idea is here, work, and it has its benefits, and one of the benefits is that you can eat. You can have your physical needs taken care of. Spiritually, it's similarly. We work and do good with an understanding there is a return on that investment to our benefit. Then, so we do good and we don't grow weary in it. And in fact, it is part of the necessity of our spiritual well-being to do that. And so if we just continually want to uh, consume and consume and consume spiritually and never let it work out in ministry never do good to others while they're always doing good to us, we are spiritually lazy and fat. And that is a matter of church discipline. It says you take such people aside and you correct them. You take them aside. Look at that. That's a pretty powerful thing. If you're not obeying this, you're going to mark that person down. Don't keep company with them because you don't want to be influenced by that attitude that says everybody owes me and it says uh, you're going to admonish him as a brother. You're going to try to bring him back to the truth, back to the outworking, the right outworking of faith. And remember, it's not that he's your enemy. He is your brother, but he has gone into laziness. Not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. And so we admonish him. And one of the ways we admonish him is we say, 
that's not an influence I want to be around, and it's not like me, and I don't want to become like you. So when you decide to get active again, uh, we can renew our fellowship, but I can't sit here and slap you on the back when you're doing nothing for God. Because that will cause you to grow weary. What I have found in years of ministry is one of the things that causes people to grow weary in doing well is they look around and see a bunch of other people doing nothing. And they get discouraged because they're doing all this work and other people are doing nothing. That's disappointing. It's discouraging. Um, Try it sometime. Go out there and do work and have a whole group of people watching you. All able-bodied that could help and do nothing. While you're slaving away and having a hard time keeping up, um, what's the result? You're not encouraged to do more work. You grow weary doing the work. And so it is a matter of church discipline, uh, that there's a, a necessity that we all carry some load, and that we saw in Galatians already, that as we all carry our load, um, that then the, the responsibility is spread, and it encourages everyone to work. And the old adage is, many hands make what? Light work. They make work easier, because now we're sharing it, and there's the, the camaraderie, there's the fellowship that we can have, and so it takes our mind off of the laboriousness of it, where I can um, you know, talk while I'm doing this, or sing while we're doing this, or, or you know, uh, have multiple people doing it. And I love some of the uh, practices of the Amish in this. They understand this concept. And so, yes, an Amish man can sit there and tediously try to build a barn, um, or the whole community can get around together, and poof, all of a sudden it's up. And in a matter of sometimes just a few days, they, they all erect an entire barn um, just by all coming together. And there is a, a benefit, an encouragement, of the socializing. Um, it's that whole idea of uh, the women's quilt guild all sitting around the same table quilting. Now, there's a lot of gossip that can happen there. I understand that. But the idea is there is that now we can put out these quilts and also have this fellowship and there's a sweetness there. And to not each of us carry our load brings weariness to others. Are you wearying someone else by you not doing it? That's why it's a matter of church discipline, that we don't want to have I would frankly be more interested in working alone in a field than to be working in a field with a crowd watching me. It's more encouraging to me to be out alone and recognize everybody else has got a job to do and I'm going to do my job out here than to have a whole bunch of people sipping lemonade over there giving me advice on how to do the work and never lifting a hand to help. But that's exactly what goes on in churches today. We have a whole crowd of people, well, maybe not tonight, but (laughs) we have a whole crowd of people that are going to sit there and give advice. You can't believe the advice I get sometimes from people who are sitting and doing nothing. And going to explain to me how I should be doing my job better. You should be doing your job better. The deacon should be doing this. The science school teacher should be doing this. The nurse worker should be doing this. The music should be like this. And it's like you're sitting and doing nothing. And that, frankly, causes people to grow weary in well-doing. And so we don't need them around. So our invitation is um, get up and get busy or get lost. And that's exactly what Paul's telling the Thessalonians here. 
exhort them to get busy themselves or disassociate with them because they will wear you down from doing good. They will make you weary of doing it because you'll feel like you can never do it right, you can never do enough, you'll never satisfy them. And the fact is you never will because they're fans and not participants. And so a very important principle here in terms of doing good, how do I not grow weary? You need to just not be around the fans who criticize and never do. You need to put around you the people who are doing the good works. And they will encourage you to do good works together. Okay, now we have a few uh, instructions very quickly. I'm running out of time. I'm going to deal two more. Uh, let's go to Titus 3.8, and then we'll go to... Second Timothy. But let's go to Titus, chapter three, verse eight. Uh, I could read some of the context to give you another, uh, the same themes. If you go back and speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, humility. Um, we have all of that in the first few verses of chapter three. Look at verse eight. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain. Good works, these things are good and profitable to men. That we, and that whole idea of maintaining good works is, is the positive of the negative, don't grow weary. Maintain good works. Paul was concerned that you do good works continuously, persistently. You maintain that. It is for the benefit of everyone that we do this. It is for benefit for your own Christian life. It is the benefit for all men, both those in the household faith and those who are not. It is beneficial to everyone for you to persist in doing good works. And so he says to, Timothy, to Titus, I'm sorry, here, um, make sure that you affirm constantly. This is great. I want you to affirm constantly to the Christians. Here's what you're supposed to constantly keep telling them. Keep doing good works works be careful to maintain your works and that's the opposite of what many in the reformed community have done they have been careful to tell people that no works are necessary well no works are necessary to earn your salvation but works are absolutely necessary as a saved person absolutely necessary and in fact the command to this young pastor is keep telling people to maintain their good works. Keep encouraging them. Keep challenging them. Keep correcting them if necessary. We saw in Thessalonians where he was like, rebuke someone. You know, um, you're going to exhort them. You need to be doing something for God. What are you doing for God? What are you doing that's right? What are you doing for others? What are you doing that's good? That's selfless instead of selfish. And then turn with me to 2 Timothy Second Timothy, and this is hopefully again a passage that we just get done talking about what the end times are going to be like, and so what are we supposed to do? And we have the same themes. If you go to verse ten, um, you're following my manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions. He goes on and on. Um, we're going to suffer persecution, but look at, down at verse um, fourteen. Let's start in verse fourteen. And again, evil men are there. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them, that from a childhood 
You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Okay, so from the Scriptures, you're going to learn the truth that brings you to salvation through faith. No works, right? Well, let's keep reading. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do I study the scriptures? Not just so I can be a smart aleck with it. Not just so I can go around and condemn people. But I learn the scriptures and I teach the scriptures with one intent. And that is that I would live them. That I would be equipped. I would have the tools to do good things. To do what is good. To persist in it. To carry on. The reason we grow weary in doing good is because we're not in the scriptures. The scriptures are what drives us. It's going to bring thankfulness to us. It's going to remind us of God's love for us. It's going to communicate to us the, the, the war that is out there between good and evil, the necessity to persist in it. All these things are going to be derived from his word. And so the word of God is going to thoroughly equip me. It's going to give me all the tools I need to do and to continue to do. Do you see that? It was that Keep following, be careful, follow after this, persist in it, long suffer in it, good works. This is what Scripture is beneficial for. It's to save us, yes, in verse 15, but 16, 17 is all about that we press on and keep doing works. And so don't get Paul in this, in this one-sided theology, you know, by grace through faith. Um, Oh, no, he had a very well-developed idea of works. And so we go back to Galatians and and to wrap this up. And so he tells us, you don't grow weary? Why? Because in due season, eventually, when it's time for fruit to be born, we will reap if we don't lose heart. You can't walk away just because you don't have any fruit today. Now, we got a bunch of fruit trees back here at the church, and and they're blossoms, and they're pretty, and, and that freeze last night is kind of scary. I don't know what the effect that's going to have on some of those. But um, I, I don't walk out there tomorrow and not see any fruit and go, oh, bummer. Well, I'm not going to come back here anymore. No, I recognize that I'm going to have to come back. And it's going to keep needing watering. It's going to keep needing some attention. And, and uh, I might even thin some of it so I can have some really good fruit and uh, some larger fruit because... Uh, I learned my lesson last year when this one tree got so loaded with fruit it broke, split a whole big limb off. So you got to do some pruning and some some uh, uh, careful tending of this, and then there's fruitfulness in due season when it's right. And I know the seasons. Do you know seasons? First one to come out is the plum tree, then the apricot tree, then the peach tree, then the apple trees. I know there's seasons, and all along there you're getting blackberries over there and so we know the seasons we don't go out here and look for apples first in due season we'll reap but you can't lose heart i looked at the plum tree this week and there's little tiny tiny fruits i was kind of concerned because i didn't see many bees this year but apparently the wind was enough to fertilize everything and and so there's little itty bitty tiny fruits just this big Did I pick and eat it? No, it's not the season. And so uh, we need to be encouraged to be steadfast. 
The fruit will come in its season. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't walk away and throw up your hands and say, it's useless, it has no good, I'm not making any difference. Well, you don't know when the season ends then. Because the season isn't this week. It's not this month, it's not this year. The season for harvest ultimately is in eternity. It's when the Lord comes. Now, you may experience some pre-harvest benefits, but ultimately it is that. And so this ties back to verse 8, which says we're going to reap everlasting life. What are we after? We're after something lasting. We're after something that is going to be enduring. And therefore we do good to all, and uh, that we saw in multiple passages, but here Paul wants to take a step aside and said, we do good to all in a very general format. We're always going to seek people's welfare. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the people of God, to the household of faith, we are going to excel in doing good to them. Um, we are just going to um, bend over backwards. We're going to give them the shirt off our back. As I did last Sunday night, I gave the pants off my legs. If you want to understand that, you'll have to come talk to me. Um, last thing, that's, and, and oh, that they would have that mentality, especially the household faith. This is your brethren. We're gonna, we need to take care of this to God's glory, and it's a shameful thing when we go to the government looking for them to take care of things that we should be taking care of. And historically, the church has been robbed of much of it because of government intrusion into church responsibilities. And that goes back to LBJ really um, doing that um, when he was going to eradicate poverty from our nation in one generation uh, with a big wham, and it didn't really work. And now so many resources are put into that system that is so broken and so abused, and there's more poverty, quote-unquote, than ever, um, and the church is debilitated. And we just send people to government programs instead of doing good work. And so we have to not grow weary. There's lots of evil that will encroach, but we have to keep the weeding up and encourage and challenge one another to press on, spend some time in God's Word, remember to be thankful. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of package here with doing good works. Not just going out and doing good works because you have a strong will to do it. But all this other stuff enables us to never grow weary in doing good. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love, for your encouragement, for your challenge tonight in your word. And we pray that we might be about the business that you describe here, that it might characterize us even as we go into a time of prayer together that uh, we saw that on multiple lists, that that is part of our doing good. Uh, even when we might not see results, we know that this is pleasing to you and that it's beneficial to all, including ourselves, our church, and the believers, the household faith, and the world. And so we uh, commit ourselves afresh to it and thank you so much for all that you've done to serve us and for every opportunity that you give us to show our thankfulness in serving others. And pray that we might truly Um, maintain our good works till your coming. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.